Uh, very good morning all It's uh, Welcome to the show It's Oliver Callan here You know the story from now Until 10 o'clock You text 51551 And send studio And then your message To 80889 If you're in the north of Ireland So it's Monday morning now uh, A wet, wet July And the air of silly season begins I hope if you're travelling Off on holidays That you're going to places that Are currently not looking like The next Mad Max movie uh, Thank goodness for the distraction of sports Says you What a, an amazing Weekend of sport, Alcaraz, Carlos Alcaraz from Spain, save tennis from the demon at Wimbledon. Colm O'Rourke and Meath keep the Tolton Cup as a trophy worth winning. And of course, Monaghan and Derry defied the lazy pundits who predicted wipeout wins from Dublin and Kerry. They did prevail, of course, uh, the Dubs deserving winners, Kerry maybe not so much. And uh, we've already got a text in this morning from Yvonne in Loch Ray, who says, Oliver, I hope Monaghan won the football. Well, Yvonne, you must um, have gone on a retreat or something over the weekend because, no, we didn't win. But we had a memorable, memorable Saturday night in Croker. One of the best championship days for Monaghan in Croke Park, despite the ultimate outcome. But we were celebrating a rare season of progress nonetheless. Um, the first semi-final in a couple of years, the, the Miners got into the final for the first time in eight, 89 years. And despite all the slagging that we got on the way in, the predictions of the 10-point win, I, uh, the dubs... And the ones I've been talking to anyway, they have great mass for Monaghan supporters. I had a pint with a gang from Talla on Saturday night uh, afterwards and they, they're amazed that this county of 60,000 Culchies could produce the ferocious team that gave the metropolis of one and a half million such a rattling for uh, at least 60, 62 minutes uh, the other night. They told me, sure, the town of Talla has 80,000 people and if you were to pick out the best footballers they wouldn't lace her boots so that, that was nice nice things coming from the dubs I met a lady called June from Clonsilla a fanatical dub and she asked for a shout out and I said I couldn't let June down in July so uh, good morning to you June uh, I was talking to Nudie Hughes as well um, Nudie Hughes he's one of our well he's Monaghan's greatest ever player until Conor McManus came along so they kind of joined at the moment and uh, well he said that our fella's legs went in the last 10 minutes and it made a difference Conor McManus of course he's a hero he's 36 later this year and we fear we won't see him in the white and blue again it's not confirmed but there are high hopes that he might capture a fourth all-star which would make him the county's most decorated player ever which would be a fitting salute, I think. If he played for Kerry, he'd be riddled with all-stars. And, uh, and don't forget all those players who give us a magnificent entertainment all weekend are this morning back working or studying today. So remember that. Sport is a lovely healer, a lovely distraction. There's nothing quite like a full house in full voice in Croker on a Saturday night. The wallop of noise and well-behaved family crack. Anyway, it's Dublin versus Kerry, like old times, on Sunday the 30th of July at half past three. The neutrals are going, yeah, again. But we'll still, we'll still be tuning in. On with proceedings. We have a great show for you this morning. This morning we have in studio a famous feminist who's written a book about men. Why would she do that, you ask? Well, she was requested to do so by women, you see, after all her best-selling books. And she does book tours um, because Catelyn Moran is with us this morning to do the very easy job of promoting this brilliant uh, book about fellas, what men know and don't know about men, what women know about men and everything in between with much funny swearing and uh, funny tragic references to the fears of womankind and men's attitude to themselves and their wobbly bits and their health and their conversations and friendships. And by the way, don't text in saying it's pronounced Kathleen Moran. 
yes, that might have been what her ancestors had. She stayed in Ireland. Um, they, that's what they would have called her. But she's an English best-selling author. So let's not paddy-splain uh, her name. It's it's Kathleen Moran. All right. You, you, you just have to get over that, I'm afraid. In the Irish Times, there's um, some beautiful photographs of emotional scenes on Inish Boffin in County Galway as the islanders gathered to bury the remains of their forebears, which were stolen uh, from Inish Boffin 133 years ago. You know the story. They were in Trinity College for, for that period and um, they decided to hand them back. And so this was the burial in a coffin handmade on the island of Inish Boffin. And there's a gorgeous picture on the front page of the procession, the funeral procession. And this story uh, over a century long has come to an end. Uh, they were taken from a recess in the ruined 17th century Abbey 133 years ago. Um, and basically the local landlord had tipped them off about the skulls. This is the fellow's um, responsible, the Cambridge University, um, Alfred Court Haddon and his assistant, Francis Dixon. And they stole the skulls and they were reinterned. And what's very nice about this particular story is that the great-granddaughter of Edward Haddon had travelled from Sheffield to address the congregation. Um, Claire Risbeth said on behalf of the Haddon and Risbeth families, she would like to say sorry to the islanders. I'm really glad we can right this wrong. I think it's important to give dignity and death and show solidarity with the living and press a great pleasure to visit your beautiful island. And there were Shan no singing as those skulls uh, were returned to where they belonged on the island of Inishbofen. So a nice end to a story. And there's a little bit of, grr, the Brits did something bad, but we got our therapy over it and... Um, it was all very nicely done. Uh, the Irish uh, contingent in, in Wimbledon is not something you hear about very often, but where it comes to the umpire, Fergus Murphy's the Irish umpire who took charge of the Wimbledon men's final for the first time. He's a 52-year-old Dubliner and um, there was a story in the Sunday World they, they followed and discussed the, the Fergus Murphy and where he came from and uh, the roots of uh, uh, Kevin Palmer. If you want to know more info on, this, uh, on the umpire, you can go to the Sunday World. Um, he was, he's Ireland's only professional tennis court official and he's part of the group who travelled to the world around the world umpiring at the main events, including the Ford Grand Slam tournaments. So he started umpiring around Dublin in the domestic leads in the 80s. Uh, he left his career in, in the King's Inns for the barristers for one of the locker room and he's been umpiring at Grand Slam level since 95. Uh, Djokovic knows him very, very well over the years. He's a notoriously slow Djokovic and they've clashed over the fact that uh, Fergus Murphy says, hurry on there now, lad, in a very Wimbledon way, we should say. And uh, so that was, a, that was an interesting Irish aside, I think, to uh, the Wimbledon men's final, which was now famously won by 20-year-old Carlos Alcaraz, who people, texters to this show last week were pointing out because we were saying it's all very dull and can it be saved from Djokovic, who nobody particularly outside of Serbia wants to see winning and, um, or, or in the Balkans. And uh, they, they pointed out that Alcaraz was one to watch, so our texters very keenly watching Wimbledon um, in between the, uh, the fact that Robinson's is no longer a partner and the barley water is no longer involved. They've switched to Gatorade. But nonetheless, Alcaraz has saved Wimbledon and also bucket hats because that is his hat of, of, um, of choice, unfortunately. I would have called it a fisherman's hat, maybe because it's not a khaki green or something. But anyway, uh, bucket hats. And they've been selling out, apparently. And he was delighted when he went to the winner's press conferences. And the Sp members of the Spanish media were sporting the same tennis bucket hat as him, uh, which in salute, because the Spanish now are heralding this is going to be the beginning of a Spanish dynasty uh, across there. I suppose they're like ourselves, isn't it? They're constantly looking for the angle going, oh, there we go now, Wimbledon is Spanish. And uh, like we say, well, it's a bit Irish because the, the, ref the referee is Irish. So there you go. That's way, way more important. Anyway, it was um, a bit of a legendary thing. 
and uh, I'm thinking about everything to do in, in, in Catelyn Moran's book because she's talking about is, when is it acceptable for men to wear a hat and the conversations of men. And it's a, it's a fascinating, it's just been in my head all weekend, even at the match, when I saw two young fellas saying hello to each other by giving them a crushing shoulder. I go, oh, the men, we, we communicate through uh, friendly violence at times. Now, if you love crime novels and you love your Agatha Christie, imagine writing a new Agatha Christie, but her plot involved a group of tourists left stranded after stormy weather knocked down a tree, blocking the only road uh, giving access to this country estate surrounded by nothing. And 100 people are trapped for many, many hours in the home of a former uh, famous mystery novelist. You go, this is a bit rubbishy. Well, this really happened uh, in Greenway, the former home of... Agatha Christie, in deep in the English countryside, uh, in Devon in southwest England, there was a storm. So this is obviously the crazy weather we're having as well. There's a random storm and they were stuck there. So Caroline Heaven is her name, real name. <laughs> this gets more ridiculous. Is a tourist visiting the Agatha Christie house. She contacted local news to spread the word that 100 tourists were trapped in the grounds of, her, of Agatha Christie's former holiday home for hours on end because there was a single track road up to it and a, a tree came down and they were trapped there. So the stranded tourists kept themselves busy for the afternoon drinking cups of tea in the house's tea rooms, playing rounds of croquet. Cro- croquet. What is that? How do you say that word? I've got radio brain. Co- croquet on the lawn, which is what Agatha Christie used to do. And um, they got free tea and stuff and they wandered around for hours. And that's that's what happened. And and it brought to mind, everyone started talking about, you know, Dead Man's Folly, which was one of the novels because there's literally a boathouse on the grounds where that's set. And then there were none, which has 10 strangers inexplicably invited to a remote mansion off the Devon coast. And each of them were mysteriously killed off. Well, 100 people, it would be hard to tell a novel in uh, 300 pages, wouldn't it? With 100 of them involved. But nonetheless, just, just absolutely ridiculous. Story. See, silly season delivers beautifully. Uh, Jane Birkin, you've heard Morning Ireland talk about Jane, but of course she's best known to those of us, um, uh, to many, many people. This is women talk now, women ba- out of the men's conversation and the hats and into women talk. Because Jane Birkin, she died at 76. I didn't know she was a Londoner first uh, and then she kind of became, well, she was welcomed in by the French uh, as a style icon and granted the celebrity status in France, which is a very difficult thing to achieve, as you know. Uh, Best known in Britain for having one of the songs banned for the BBC, as you know, but giving her name to a prohibitively expensive Hermès handbag. And she'd been telling the story, um, the late Jane Birkin, years ago, she was talking to Christine Amanapour and she was talking about where this handbag came about. She's basically sitting in a first class seat on her way to New York and she just happens to be sitting next to the famous bag designer from Hermes and this is how it all came about. Why did you make a bag that's, that you can leave open, sort of? Because girls like to have things on the end of their arm to put all their stuff in. He said, well, draw it for me. And so I, I drew it on one of those sick bags, the vomit bag, in the aeroplane. And he was true to his word and he said, but we think it's so great that we'd like to give it your name. It was funny to come to New York and they said, oh, Birkin, like the bag? I said, yes, now the bag is going to sing. I thought, oh, bless me, you know, when I'm dead, then not only is it to tame one on blue and blow up, but it'll possibly even only talk about the bag. Yeah, and it is, it's kind of true. Well, she, what a legacy to have. I mean, if any of us had invented a bag that people are still enjoying and impractical because it's a bag with pockets, uh, you'd well consider that a worthy legacy, the Birkin bag. And I, I was reading, she actually got a royalty of £30,000 a year from Hermes for having lent her surname to the bag and the idea of it came to her. And uh, she gave it to charity every year. Now, imagine the value. They're about, they start at 10 grand uh, upwards. It's the cheapest 
um, Birkenar mouths you can get. And second hand, they retain 90% of their value. But imagine owning a, a Jane Birkin owned Birkin bag with something else. And uh, you know, I say there's, there's plenty of them. So there's loads of them. James Cameron has been in the news quite a lot since this Titanic sub unfortunately ended in tragedy and the Ocean Gate now scandal because people were raising concerns about the seaworthy ship of, uh, of the, the sub that went down. So the Sun, uh, which is having a bit of a ropey time at the moment, published an exclusive story last week claiming that James Cameron, the Titanic movie director, was in discussions with a major streaming service to direct a drama series based on the destruction of the Titan, the sub that went down and was never seen again. With five souls lost. And Cameron has says, I don't usually come out to deny silly rumours in the media, but he feels he needs to. He is not in talks about an Ocean Gate film, nor will he ever be, and finds the idea offensive. So the Sun, yet again, um, finding themselves in the news for all the wrong reasons. Dolly Parton is always in the news for good reasons. Um, she brings us to a happy, happy place. And she's now, what is she, 77 years old? Because we can't talk about female celebrities without mentioning their age every five seconds. And uh, they're asking, when are you going to give it up? Are you going to, are you going to stop working? And she's speaking to, she was on Greatest Hits Radio, uh, chatting to Ken Bruce. And this is what she said about her retirement plans. And I'm not one to sit around doing nothing. I would never retire. I'll just hopefully drop dead in the middle of a song on stage. And hopefully one I've written. Anyhow, that's how I hope to go. Of course, we don't have much of a choice in that. But as long as I'm able to work, as long as my health is good and my husband is good, I mean, I would, the only way that I would ever slow down or stop would be, you know, for that, for that reason. But... <laughs> Dolly Parton dropping dead in the middle of a song. I hope that's not a clip we're playing, ironically, sometime in the future, like Jane Birkin saying, they'll only be talking about me in the bag. Uh, but Dolly, Dolly goes forever. Dolly is going on forever. And now this is definitely a story that will have men talking to each other about stuff uh, and avoiding all emotions and so on. Stranded Australian sailor and his dog rescued following months surviving on the high seas on just raw fish and rainwater. You see? Proper man, Tim Shaddock. He even has a proper man name. And his pet dog, Bella. Oh, so he's kind of emotionally connected to the female dog. Very good. Found floating in the Pacific Ocean after his catamaran was damaged in the storm. So uh, how long? So he spent months and months surviving on a diet of raw fish and rainwater. And they were floating two months after a storm damaged the electronics and the communication system just weeks after they set off. He left La Paz in Mexico in April, was attempted to reach French Polynesia, 5,000 kilometres away, hit by a storm. But he was eventually rescued by a helicopter conducting surveillance for a Mexican fishing trawler. Oh, is that what they said they were doing? You're looking out. I'm sure, sure. Uh, so he's um, he's grand now, and uh, this is this is this is one of the stories you'd be talking about as men. What would you be doing on the boat for two months with your dog? How do you survive? What do you get up to? Banksy is an intriguing personality. We know there is an artist called Banksy, or is it more than one person? And mystery has gone through his whole career. A street artist would be the proper proper explanation of him. But a BBC podcast, a Radio 4 series, says they've revealed something about him, possibly, maybe. His voice. They found a 2005 recording that's only ever been broadcast in America, and which, according to the show, is a bit of a find. And they think they've discovered the voice of Banksy. Nobody knows who Banksy is. No one knows what age he is, um, how long he's been operating, roughly. They don't, they've never seen him and sightings have come up and uh, Banksy's have to be kind of authenticated and so on, which makes it difficult when the slightly illegal street artist and he does things like destroy his art to, show, to, to talk about the monetization of art. Is this Banksy? Well, let's listen to a clip and um, we'll just keep on guessing forever, I suppose. 
Oh, you have uh, no guarantee of that at all. This could be a better prankster than uh, I was when I went and did that, definitely. I mean, I'm kind of a career graffiti writer, so it's not in my interest to get arrested very often. <laughs> not in his nature to get arrested. So anyway, the BBC says, I don't know if it's him. It could be the first time if it's him. First time we've ever heard him. Maybe it's him. We don't know. The Banksy story is out on, on BBC Sounds and all that. Now, Dr. Strangelove is being remade. <gasps> But relax, it's going to be OK because Armando Yanucci, the man behind um, The Thick of It and Veep and all the good stuff you've ever seen, basically. David Copperfield, remember that? How good that was? He has written the first stage adaptation. Ah, it's going to be OK. Of a Stanley Kubrick film. 96.4 Apocalyptic Cold War comedy says, this, this story has never gone away, Armando Yanucci says. We've got to do this again. He's going to put it on in London's West End next year. And this is going to be very, very exciting. What is he saying about um, bringing Dr. Strangelove to the stage? In these sad times, what better to cheer the nation up than a, a stage show about the, the end of the world. It's looming even more in our imagination now, isn't it, with the climate emergency. Um, we started talking about this adaptation several years ago, but now with the war in Ukraine and the whole nuclear question coming up again, it just hasn't gone away. I think a lot of our um, art these days is less about the past and more about the future. Yes, these are dark times and we need art to explain it to us and to release our anxiety in a small way. 51551, that's the text. That's the text number. At long last, defeat for the miserable Djokovic, many would say. In fairness though, the texter says, he was generous in defeat. He was actually a very touching speech. The swashbuckling, smiling Spaniard was the crowd's favourite yesterday. A thrilling topsy-turvy match to the very end, uh, says John on Fergus Murphy. Handled Djokovic with calm assurance. Brilliant, cool, but assertive. Perfect is the review of the Irish referee in Wimbledon. Yes, we're not known for our assertiveness and our our ability to, uh, you know, uh, look at the rules, understand them and stick to them. Maybe we're good at telling other people to follow the rules. That's probably why we Irish people make such good referees. Uh, what is this? Random fact. Hamilton Willoughby was the first Irish winner of the men's single title in Wimbledon in 1890. He was from where? Monas to Revan in County Kildare. You see, we'll claim everything, including Kathleen Moran, who has us all talking about men this morning. So we, we need kind of manly music, don't we? <laughs> We're not going to go too obvious. I think the, the Pixies is a good place to start this morning. Whatever you're up to, good morning. 51551 is the text. Where is my It's a Monday morning vibe if everyone wanted. That's the Pixies, of course. Where is my mind? It's kind of, you know, I think it's very fitting. Very fitting for our conversation this morning. 51551 is the text. Would you believe I was at Agatha Christie's house just a week ago? Really? It's a short distance from Dartmouth on a hill overlooking the estuary. Sounds like we had a close escape, Tom. Newcastle, Wicklow. Yes, Tom. Very, very narrow escape. I love Agatha Christie, but I always find myself reading it going, this is very, very English. Who, where is our Agatha Christie? It's probably John Banville these days with his quirk series. Hi Oliver, I saw Squeeze at Forever Young Festival on Friday night. Tilbrook and Difford belted out their classics and all of us oldies bopped while Lorraine took a break to cool for cats and up the junction and loads more. Sublime, says Mary in Kildare. Yeah, that was almost called off, wasn't it? And they had to kind of say, no, it's okay, we can go ahead. Bring your wellies, we'll be grand. Uh, Oliver, I'm sure you know, nearly you, you nearly never bulled a cow, says Mike and Roscommon, who's obviously slagging uh, the Monaghan um, courageous 
and spirited defeat to Dublin at the weekend. But we are celebrating our year, Mike, in Roscommon, OK? We're celebrating our year. Thank you very much for your slagging, but I understand it's the only way you can communicate because you're a man, right? We're going to find out more about that and your problems, men out there, when we talk to Kathleen Moran after these. There I am, trying to say goodbye to Moran <laughs> the bad breaks are shorter. We've got loads and loads of messages coming in. I taught all boys for 35 years. Love these things. Uh, love these things about boys. They get over... They get over being reprimanded, given out to very quickly. They smile at you in the corridor an hour later. They don't hang on to grudges. They're not competitive around their appearance. Some of them, I'm sure. Love helping you with something. Good sense of humour. Very appreciative of getting you to help and time. Give them space and a bit of attention. Well, this is exactly what Kathleen is telling us, that you've got to praise the boys and talk about what's good about them. Someone says they never got, over, got control or needed the idea of role models or understood it. You should be confident in yourself and the abilities and not need someone else to look up to. I love women and respect them and cherish them equally says Sai. Um, so lots of loads and loads of messages but we have to go to another ad break I think before we go. But 51551 keep them coming back after these. Ah yes. I just had two hugs out of Cattle Moran there which is um Made my day really, 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 really triumphant. I'll be. Someone says, I love your guest. I wish we could clone her and send her to all the secondary schools. She's great. Well done for having her on. Well, you don't need to clone her. You can just simply buy the book and talk about it in school. I think boys would be fascinated by a lot of the stuff, particularly uh, the discussions of what boys don't talk about uh, compared to women. Particularly, there's a whole chapter on how women discuss their apparatuses with each other in stark contrast to the boys who don't talk about their apparatuses because it's some sort of trouser Voldemort. So there's, a real, there's an amazing sense of humour, very intelligent sense of humour. Um, my 14-year-old son says Andrew Tate is a big dope and he doesn't like him. It's music to my ears. Absolutely. If everyone else could get there, they'd be, they'd be, um, uh, they'd be, compl- they'd be delighted with themselves. Totally agree with Catelyn. Boys are not being supported. They really resent it being all about the girls. There is that chasm. We can make it about the boys um, if you can get the role models out there and if International Men's Day is a day where they kind of celebrate men as opposed to International Women's Day where they go, where's the day for men? And people have to spend all day on Twitter telling them there is an International Man's Day. I'm definitely going to buy this book. I'm a teacher in an all-boys school. I've despaired over the last few years with the attitudes of the lads getting the usual pushback on International Women's Day. I promised them I'd run an International Men's Day. I want to inspire the lads with as many positive role models as possible. Any suggestions are very welcome indeed. They're all in there. That's it for today. Philip Boucher-Hayes is, is next and we'll be back again here tomorrow. Have a good day.